certainly need to remember those truths in this time, as Jordan was mentioning, you can't get away from the tension that exists in our culture, and, and we shouldn't want to get away from it. We need to think through how to live and glorify our king in the midst of it. So starting next week, we are going to uh, walk head on into the stuff that's happening in our world today. And we are going to consider how to think about these things from a biblical Christian perspective. Next week's going to be the introduction to that series. Today is the introduction to the introduction of that series. And I want to read just two verses from the book of Romans that I want to discuss with you this morning. It's the first two verses of chapter 12 of this great letter from the Apostle Paul to a church almost 2,000 years ago. Here's what he said to them. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So read the words of the living God. Father, fill us with your spirit this morning. Fill us with your power. Fill us with your truth and renew our minds as we think about these things and equip us to live in this world righteously and hopefully. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's been a year, huh? 2020, what a year. We are never going to forget this year. You've seen the memes going around, you know, can we reboot? Uh, think about the, the people on, at midnight on January 1st, those who wished you a happy new year. And you want to go grab them and say, liar. <laughs> you didn't know what you were talking about. It's been a year. And the tension is heavy, it's thick, and I will tell you, as a pastor, the thing that is the most concerning to me, or at least way up on the list, is the potential for disunity in the body of Christ. As I listen to Christians talk, Christians in this church and in other churches, as I read your Facebook posts and other social media, the enemy has a wide open door right now to bring division among the body of Christ. And we need to make sure that we keep the main things the main things. And that starts with what we think. Uh, the series we did uh, through Philippians chapter 4, do you remember how many times there the Apostle Paul focused in on our minds? Well, we're going to continue that today and indeed into the upcoming series. The verses I just read to you, Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The, the wording there in English gives us a nice interplay, conformity 
and transformation. Not this, not conforming, but transforming. And what Paul is getting at there is the world, or more literally this age, wants to conform us into its thinking. And Paul says, don't allow that. Don't look at all that's happening in the world like the world looks at it. That's not what we're about as Christians. We are to have a different form of mind, a transformation. The Greek word is metamorphosis. And I remember, about the only thing I remember from elementary school science was a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. And that is through what we call metamorphosis, the change in form. A caterpillar is limited, it crawls along the ground, but after it undergoes this transformation, it becomes this little creature that can fly. That's a huge transformation. That's the same word that's used here in Greek. Don't let your mind be shaped into the image of the culture, of the world but be transformed, become something that can fly, something that's altogether better. And it's a great concern for the Apostle Paul here, and it's a command. Do not be conformed to this world, but a command, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have to think. Now, I urged you a few weeks ago from Philippians to make time for thinking, to make sure that you spend a lot of time thinking, that it, that it requires effort and concerted setting aside a portion of your schedule to think. But we have to think the right things as we do that. So we're going to talk about that. The first time in the New Testament that this word mind appears is at the end of Luke's gospel when Jesus is talking to a group of disciples who are dismayed because Jesus has just been crucified. And they're discouraged because they thought Jesus might be the Messiah. But Messiahs aren't supposed to die, so they thought. And Jesus shows up, and they don't even think it's him. And Jesus begins to explain to them that the Messiah had to come and die. And the scripture says he opened their minds to understand the scripture. See, these guys read the Old Testament. It's the only testament they had. They read the Old Testament, and as they read it, they thought, well, Messiah, when the king comes, when the Messiah comes, he's not going to die. He's going to rule. Jesus died, so he can't be the Messiah. And Jesus himself opened up their minds. We don't know if this was a supernatural act or if he simply read to them from the Old Testament, saying, see, here it is, here it is, or a combination of those two. But either way... Their minds were thinking the wrong thing about the Messiah, and Jesus opened their minds to think the right thing, and now they got it. Oh, the Messiah had to come and die, otherwise you would still be in your sins. But he wasn't going to stay dead, he was going to rise again, and then he would rule and reign. So their minds had to be opened, just like our minds have to be opened to understand the scriptures. Bad thinking has been the cause of great sin since the very beginning. Think back to the Garden of Eden. God creates Adam, he creates Eve, gives them a wonderful place to live, wonderful fellowship. He fellowshiped with them, they had great fellowship with each other. And then the tempter comes along and says to Eve, hey Eve, did God really say you can't eat from any of those trees in the garden? 
what did he do? He introduced thoughts that previously Eve had not been thinking. But now she begins to ask the question, wait, did he tell us that? Oh, no, 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 she says. She gives the right answer. No, no, no. He, he told us not that we can't eat from any of them, just that one. In fact, we're not even supposed to touch it. Now, we don't know if God said that or not. It's not in the Bible. Then Satan gives a direct contradiction to what God had commanded. God had commanded, don't eat of that one tree. Satan says, you will not die if you eat of it. God's concerned that you're going to become like him. He's jealous. He doesn't want you to be like him. You're not going to die. You're going to live. You're going to know stuff. And now Eve is wrestling with thoughts she had not previously had. Huh. Will I become wiser than God or like God if I eat of that fruit? She's thinking, wow, that fruit on that tree looks really, really tasty. It's going to make me wise. It's going to make me good. It's going to make me like God. I want that. And now her desires kick in, and she grabs it, and she eats. She hands it to her husband. What was he thinking? Some of you think, here's a typical husband looking into his nothing box, right? He's not thinking anything. Oh, he's thinking something. But he's not thinking of the consequences of watching his wife disobey God. His mind is not thinking well. And they both eat the forbidden fruit and bring judgments upon mankind. And we see this from that point on all through the scripture. By the time we get to chapter 6 of Genesis... God looks out over the world of mankind and he is sad, he's, he's grieved that he even made man in the first place, it says, because the thoughts of the intentions of his heart is only evil continually. Can you imagine? What, a, what an awful statement from God himself. This is, this is the evaluation of mankind. All they do is think about being violent and rebellious against him. So we come to Paul's letter to the Romans, and he, he describes some of this in more detail. Back in chapter 1, he gave a, uh, a further explanation of what mankind is like in rebellion against God. Uh, so, you know... You're probably familiar with some of this. Uh, God has made himself known to the world through creation. To, to mankind knows this, and man suppresses that truth. Man does not want God in our thinking. And the scripture says here in uh, chapter 1, verse 24, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity. And he talks about sexual sin, especially homosexual sin here. And it goes on, and they became fools. These people who professed to be wise became fools. And, and in verse 20. 28, it says, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind, right? Now, when we think of depravity, we immediately think of wickedness, and rightfully so, but the Greek word actually has a slightly different connotation. It, it means a worthless mind. Now, it doesn't mean that people who reject God are incapable of concluding that two plus two equals four. It doesn't mean that they can't gain any facts and information uh, scientifically, so to speak. 
it does mean their mind does not work the way it was designed to, to reflect on the existence of God and put everything in life in relationship to God and therefore to live righteously and purely. So they may know that two plus two equals four, but they don't understand why. And they don't understand why it matters how we act and behave. And that, that leads to the depravity, the, the wickedness of the mind. It starts in what they think. They think there is no God. And now they're left to try to figure out what is right and wrong, what is good, what is beneficial. They are left to figure out those things apart from the existence of God. And it always leads to depravity and evil and wicked thinking and wicked behaving. And listen how, to, listen how Paul describes the depraved actions that come from the depraved mind. He says, they do those things which are not proper. That's not a great English translation for this reason. When you think of something that's not proper, what do you think of? Oh, I ate with the dessert fork before dessert comes, right? We think of these manners. No, no, the word is much heavier than that. The idea is it's improper in the sense that it is depraved and, and wicked. So God is not particularly concerned with which fork you use or where you put your napkin when you eat. Your mom may be concerned about that, but God is not as concerned. Do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy. Let me just stop there for a second. So he gives the broad categories of unrighteousness and wickedness. Then he says greed, evil, envy, things that we see all around us today. You can't watch what's happening in our world without seeing on display wickedness, greed, envy. It's, it's bad. It is on full display right now. Then he adds murder, strife, deceit, malice. Again, we can't get away from it. It is, it is visually before us every day right now. And we've kind of, I mean, it's, it's this way most of the time. If you watch any news report, they're going to report on how many murders were committed last night. And no matter what city you're in, that's, that's part of the news stories. We grow sort of desensitized to that. But right now, the, the murderous activity, the violence, the malice is just happening in such extraordinary ways, it shakes us out of our desensitized slumber at times. It should. He says they are gossips, slanderers. Has it, has it registered in your mind whenever the Bible strings together these lists of the things that are so offensive to God that almost every time slander and gossip and abusive speech are on those lists? I mean, murder, yeah, we get that. That's a biggie. That's really, really, really bad. But, mur but slander? 
saying things about someone else with the intent to denigrate their character, that's on the list of things that God hates. Have you ever heard anybody use any slanderous words? Anybody here on social media? Anybody watch the news on the right or the left? Their whole business model on the right and the left is driven by slander. I'm gonna paint that person in the worst possible light so that everybody on my team will say, yeah, you're bad. And gossip, how many things can we drudge up? I mean, as soon as someone comes to any influence in our culture, there are people who go back and search their Twitter feed and their Facebook feed looking for anything that they can put out there and say, see, bad man, bad woman, tear them down. It's on the list of what it looks like when people are depraved, gossip, slander, in written form, libel. What can we do to tear people down? It's what happens when people think with depraved minds. Haters of God, insolent. That's a really good word. We don't use that word very often. I'm guessing if I polled most people in this room, we, most of us would not know what that means. Insolent. It means to be boldly disrespectful. Like in your face, defiance. Have you ever seen that? Any time in the last three months, have you ever seen that? In your face, I refuse to give you any respect. Arrogance, boastful, inventors of evil. This is mankind when we don't think well. We find new ways, we're creative Ingenuity thrives in manufacturing more ways to do evil. Disobedient to parents. Parents, can I get an amen? <laughs> Depraved minds exist even in the church. No, I shouldn't go there. Without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Man, are we seeing that on display today? People cheering and cheering and cheering for all the wickedness that's going on. Do it again, do it again, do it more. Go to a new city and do it again. And they know, that's what Paul says, they know someday they are going to stand before God and give an account for their actions. And they do it anyway. Because they have convinced themselves he's not real. And there's no reckoning coming. is an abysmal picture of humanity that Paul describes there. And he goes on in chapter 2, and he keeps going. and says, even God's people, the Jews, they were just as wicked. He gets into the hope, which Jeff preached so well on last week. There he is. So well on the hope that we have. We sang about it, the hope of the glory of God, because believers have 
been justified by faith and we have peace with God. It goes on through the rest of the next 11 chapters unpacking the gospel. And then in chapter 12, he says, therefore, in light of all of these mercies of God, you who are just like the people I was describing, who've now been forgiven and justified and declared righteous and you have peace with God, you've been reconciled to God, therefore, in light of God's mercy, don't live like those people. Don't think like those people be transformed. Do not be conformed to this age. That's an abstract statement, an abstract concept. What is this age? What is this world? It's not a thing. You can't go out there and say, oh, there's the world, there's the age. How does the age try to form us into its image? Through people. Through people. You are conformed as you hear the words of people, as you read the words of people. And I think in our day, the most forming happens through media. Through the news channels you watch and listen to, and that I watch and listen to and read, through social media, through Facebook posts and Instagram posts and Twitter posts and locals posts and parlay posts and whatever the thing this week is going to be, whatever the new form of social media is, we are inundated, podcasts, we're, we're inundated with information. You can download ebooks, free ebooks. You can get it this afternoon and start reading 10 different ones. And the world is constantly barraging us with information, trying to persuade us to think a certain way and therefore to behave a certain way and to react. And what we as Christians do way too often is we react in the moment without thinking without thinking, without evaluating. Somebody comes along and says, did God really say this? Oh, that fruit looks good, let me add it. We have to think, we have to stop. We must not react like the world is reacting to everything. I'm, I've never been this concerned for the unity of Front Range Alliance Church. And I've certainly never been this concerned for the unity of the broader church. I don't see a lot of careful thinking. I see a lot of reacting. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't careful thinking going on. But I see a lot of reacting. I see a lot of people just repeating what their team has said. It makes me ask the question, how much of this is being filtered through a biblical Christian worldview? How much of us are we pulling back and saying, okay, let me listen carefully to the argument being made here and say, is that true? If it's false, what do I do with that? Well, how can I lovingly correct someone, engage in conversation, have a dialogue and not take on the posture of the world where it's us versus them, just let them have it, let it fly. Now you know me well enough, you know this church well enough. 
We are not about unity at all costs. If it's something we should divide over, we will divide. We don't water things down. We don't abandon the core things. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying everybody just a group hug all the time and don't ever have debates and dialogue. No, just the opposite. We need to have debates and dialogue. There are a huge diversity of opinions in this room about a lot of these things. We need to wrestle with them together, but with renewed minds that are not like the world. I'll give you an example. Some of you are not gonna like this, but it's a good test to see whether you're listening to me or not. So on, uh, on Thursday, I saw the report that the governor is requiring masks in any indoor public gathering. And as I, I, someone texted me and I, as I was coming in and I asked my phone, I was going to say her name, but then she would talk to me. I asked my phone to tell me, uh, read the text and, the text and they read it and say, oh, okay, the governor made this, uh, made this statement. So I, uh, I immediately Googled it when I got to my desk and uh, started uh, looking at all the, the entries that came up first. And immediately what I saw, I couldn't, I had to go way down to find a link to actually what the governor said. But immediately all I saw was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. The people on the governor's team, yes, finally. And all those against the governor's like, ah, oh, he's just this and that, you know, just, just all the heat, but no light in this. And I finally was able to track down the press conference, and I listened to the entire press conference of the governor's statement. I was actually impressed with what I heard from this standpoint. Now, I should qualify this before you, before you shut me out. I did not vote for Governor Polis. I will not vote again for Governor Polis. I don't like most of his policies. Okay, so don't think I've been duped into some kind of a liberal mindset or whatever. I, I, I don't condone his viewpoint of many, many things. But in this particular discussion, he brought up an epidemiologist who gave her charts and her facts and her models on the increase of the case of the coronavirus and so on. Now, I have seen all the alternative uh, presentations as to why that's, that's not a helpful model. I get it, okay? So I'm not naively saying, oh yeah, she's right. But here's what I appreciated. The governor, as he was explaining this order, this executive order, saying here's the factual basis for why I'm making this decision. That gives me something to agree or disagree with. Now I can go and say, all right, do I think that is a good representation of what's going on? Has he adequately explained the danger before us and that masks will help? I also question the constitutionality of the governor having the authority to make such a, 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 an order. I'm not sure he has the right before the constitution or the state constitution. That is a debate worth having. Have we moved beyond the emergency situation where now Congress, state, state representatives and Congress should pass laws requiring this or that? Uh, there's a case to be made there. So again, I'm not adopting or affirming everything the governor presented as his rationale or even that he has the right. What I'm saying is he sat there and said, here's the information I'm acting according to and I want to prevent us from another lockdown I want people's lives saved, physically. I want the economy saved. 
And if this moves people to wear masks, and he kept using as his rationale that if I say these words out loud, 15 more percent of you will wear masks, which will slow the spread. I appreciate that. Remember, the original statement for the lockdown was flatten the curve so our hospitals are not overrun. And people all the time talk about, oh, the goalposts have moved, the goalposts have moved. He said, we're on the verge of the curve being high again. We want to flatten the curve, which I appreciated. At least he's going back to the original statements. Are you hearing my point? I'm not saying I agree with his facts. I'm not saying that he has the constitutional right. I think those are debatable points. But at least he was not simply saying, I'm the king of Colorado and I hereby decree this because I want to. He said, here's my rationale. Now I have something to wrestle with and say, has he persuaded me? Is it, is it seem reasonable? And I could go have a dialogue with him and say, Governor Polis, I think there are holes in your thinking here. I would love to have that conversation with him. And maybe at the end of it, he would convince me that it really is a power play. He's just better at presenting it than other plays. Or maybe I would find out, no, he's really convinced this is true. And I, I can't blame a man for acting according to what he thinks is true, even if I disagree. My bigger concern is how we have discussions about these things. That we are not conformed to the reactionary, inflamed passion of the culture, the world. But we are transformed, that we stop and we think. And we listen carefully to what's being presented. Instead of just saying, that person's on my team, I take their stand and hurl stones at the other side, and then those over here dodging the stones saying, oh yeah, I'm going to fight back and throw stones at you. We as Christians are to be above that. To listen, to think, to speak carefully. Paul goes on in chapter 12 of Romans to show what this looks like when we are transformed. And he says some, some crazy things. They sound crazy to the world anyway. I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment. News media, social media, there's not a lot of sound judgment coming from either. says, let love be without hypocrisy, or abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. If we join in the cursing of those we don't agree with, we're no better than the world. He says, bless them. You don't have to agree with them. You don't have to act according to their positions. But we can't curse them. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind. That means don't think you know everything. I see people on all sides of these things speaking like they know everything. 
and I'm thinking, man, they're not reading the same stuff I am. For every argument you have on this, I see another argument on this, and I'm thinking, huh, I don't know. Maybe I'm just not as smart as some of you. Thanks for not saying amen to that. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Be at peace with all men. Never take your own vengeance, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We're going to come back to this because it's a huge part of how we look at justice and social justice and all of that. But we have to lock it into our thinking. It is not my place, it is not your place to take vengeance on evildoers. God will take vengeance. All the evil activity that is taking place in this world, every single person who's doing that will not get away with it. They will stand before a holy God who sees and knows all and they will be called to account for their actions. So it's not our place to take vengeance. We leave that to God. Because our minds are renewed and we understand the truth. Now again, I'm not saying there's no place for action. There is. In a republic there's a place for action. There's a big vote coming up in a few months. We should take action, and we're going to talk about it. But I'm talking about our heart's attitude, how we think. It has to be different from the world because it's a command, because it's right, because we're not the caterpillar stumbling across the ground. We're a butterfly that can fly above all the chaos and see from God's perspective. May we be a church that strives for unity even where we disagree. Let's pray. Lord, you know my, my prayer for many weeks now, and I ask again, would you preserve our devotion to you and to each other? Lord, free our minds from the conformity to the world and and transform us, renew our minds, give us the ability to think. You tell us in the word we have the mind of Christ. We can think your thoughts. Help us to not be arrogant, to not be haughty of mind, to be gentle even where we disagree, even where we have to take decisive action. May we do so from a pure heart that loves you, more so from a heart of pride self-centeredness. Lord, would you grant peace in our land, peace in our church, peace in our city so we can preach the gospel to a people that are not all worked up. I pray this in Jesus' name.